We'll be going this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 2. I invite you to go there with me. It'll be right here on the screen behind me. Let us hear from the word of the Lord together. In that time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you of this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made the signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began speak and praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is going to be for this child? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation in his house for his servants, David, as said throughout the holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord and prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God by which rising sun will come up to heaven from, up to us from heaven to shine on those in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. That's a long text this morning, big scripture. I obviously did not memorize that. If you didn't know, there's a screen back there that I get to read from. People didn't know that. They're like, wow, this is impressive. You memorize the Bible. That's what we go to seminary for, to memorize the Bible. No, uh, we are in our new series 
called The Original Christmas Carols. We will spend time throughout this book. But you know what I love about this Advent season, or as most of us call it, the Christmas season, even though Christmas technically doesn't start till December 25th? I love it that it's the only time of year where it's perfectly appropriate to just randomly bust out into song, like whenever you want. Because I do that anyway throughout the year. But this is the only time of year where people don't look at me like I'm crazy for doing it, right? We wait all year to sing our Christmas songs. You've got your four albums queued up on your Spotify, or maybe for those of you who don't know who that is, maybe on your Walkman, all right? Yeah. Your eight-track tapes. You've got your Michael Buble and your Celine Dion, Backstreet Boys Christmas album. I mean, those are my top three, I'm just saying. But you think of it as this season is recognized largely by our music. Christmas music helps us realize that we are in the Christmas season, but as we call it in the church, the Advent season. The Gospel of Luke has its own collection of Christmas music. Luke puts the Christmas story into the first two chapters. And throughout these first two chapters, there are four times where people just randomly burst out into song. It's like a musical. You have four different people who out of nowhere and unprompted just start singing. The first two songs of Zechariah that we just read and Mary that we'll hear next week, they come before Jesus's birth. The next song of the angels comes to us on the night of Jesus's birth. And then there's a song of Simeon that comes to us just after Jesus is born. This week and next week, we'll be asking, what do we do to prepare for Jesus to act in our lives? And then we will respond, figure out how do we respond in the moment when we feel the work of Jesus and the presence of Christ in our lives? And then we will look at the aftermath. How are we changed and what then do we do because of the work of Christ in our lives? And so today we're gonna start with this text this song from Zechariah, this large group of scriptures we just read, and we're just gonna sit with it this morning. We're gonna talk a lot about the Bible. And I hope that's okay with you because I like the Bible. I'm a big fan and I think there's a lot that we have to learn from it. And so I would like to start with this song of preparation. And as we prepare for things, our preparation makes us realize that we have hope. And when we don't have hope, one of the most important ways we can find it is to remember. And so today I would like to think of two stories. The first is Zechariah's, and I would like to preach from the theme, remember what you're waiting for. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I missed you all last week. Watching the live stream, but just being back is so good. So let's start with this story of Zechariah. Zechariah was old, all right? That was one thing that has been pointed out over and over in this text. Zechariah was old, there's no doubt about it. I don't know exactly how old he was, but let's just imagine he's older than everybody in this room. So if you think you're the oldest person in this room, just know that Zachariah was older than you, so that should make you feel good about yourself, right? So Zachariah, we also know, was the name of a priest in the ancient Near East. Two important details. He was old and his name was Zachariah. The reason why it's important that we know his name is Zachariah is because that name has deep meaning for this story. The name Zachariah literally means God remembers. 
His name means God remembers. And there are multiple reasons why that is important. And the first is, Zechariah was a Jew. And the Jewish people had had a very troubled recent experience. And by recent, I mean the past 600 years have been very difficult for the Jewish people when we come to this point in the story. Just think about it, 600 years is a long time. That's twice as long as we've been a country. For 600 years, the Jewish people have been scattered, they've been exiled, they've been persecuted, and now they are under foreign occupation by the Romans. And a a figurehead is appointed by the Romans to be the king of 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 the Jewish people in Rome. His name is Herod. He's also called Herod the homicidal because he goes on killing sprees and he is merciless. And so Zechariah was named God remembers. Like many other people in the Bible who have that name, his very existence is supposed to remind the people that by his name, that they are not forgotten by God. And with every day that passed, Zechariah's name like the names of many of his forebears, seems kind of, like a, kind of like a cruel joke. Because for 600 years, they've had to ask, does God actually remember? It wasn't evident if they, God remembered the people as a whole, and it wasn't even evident if God remembered Zechariah personally. His name is God remembers, but think about this. It says he was very old, and his wife Elizabeth was well on in years, and they had no one to carry on the name into a new generation. If your name means God remembers, and if your name dies out, does that mean God has forgotten? When was the last time you felt forgotten? Last time you felt like no one remembered you was maybe if you haven't heard a phone call or text message from somebody who shares your last name in over a week. I've been guilty about not touching base with my family enough. Maybe it was the last time you were picked last in the backyard football game or basketball game. I am very intimately familiar with that feeling. If you can imagine, as I told you about my sports skills, you can smile with the best of them, pretend like you don't care, but deep down it hurts. Being picked last, feeling forgotten, left out. Maybe it was when you suddenly realized that you no longer qualify for youngest ever in any category. Maybe it's when you realize, like, I didn't think I was at my midlife crisis yet, but I can't stop looking at Corvettes on the internet, right? When was the last time you felt a little left out, a little forgotten, like nobody remembered you? Zachariah knew what it was like to be picked last. There were 26 divisions of priests and 52 weeks in a year. So each division got two weeks to be over and serve the temple. The temple, which is where everything happens for the Jewish person. But only one person was allowed to go into the inner sanctuary once a year on behalf of the entire Israel people. On behalf of all the Israelites, only one priest gets to go in and make sacrifices. So this place is called the Holy of Holies and nobody gets to go in there. Not even the priest, not the clergy, nobody, except for one time, once a year, one person goes in there and makes sacrifice to God. So every priest hopes for this duty. And we know that you only get to go in once in your lifetime. 
And so they, made, they, would, they would throw lots and they would have, they would have people's names in a, in a bucket and they would draw names to figure out who went. And Zechariah had been a priest his whole life. He's very old, which means he was passed over time after time, year after year, decade after decade. He saw these people that just got really lucky. They just started in their priesthood and they got to go back there. And he had been waiting his whole life. And he's wondering, I have no children. I have not gotten to go back to the Holy of Holies. I don't get to do my full duty as a priest. Does God actually remember? And then Zechariah's name is called. The name God remembers is pulled out from the bucket. And you picture Zechariah at this very old age getting ready to go back to make sacrifice to the Lord. What would it be like for you if you were in his shoes? Would you be full of fear? Would you be excited? Would you be nervous? Would you be kind of over it all because you've waited so long and you've seen everybody else do it? And so it's like, well, now I, gotta, now I get to do it, but is it still a big deal to you? I, I don't know. Is it something in there that you used to hope for, but when it never happened, you just started trash talking it? Like how the Big 12 talks about the college football championships? Is it something that you, you will never experience, you haven't experienced, so you, you just, what was it like for Zechariah right before you walked in there? I wonder if he was hopeful. I wonder if he was resentful that he didn't make it in there sooner. But then he goes back. He goes back behind the veil and he's getting ready to make a sacrifice and all of a sudden, Gabriel, the angel, shows up. And at that moment, we see what all this waiting and all this hoping has cost Zechariah. All these times being passed over. All these times of not having his dreams fulfilled. All these times of not getting the things that he thought he was supposed to have in his personal and in his professional life. Because all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up the moment Zechariah steps into the temple. And Gabriel tells him, he says, you will be remembered by God and you will have a son, and you will name him John. Gabriel tells Zechariah that even though he's very old, he's gonna be a daddy. And Zechariah has an angel right there in front of him, and he still can't believe. He'd been passed over so many times that his hope and his belief, his ability to hold on to the things that provide inner peace, and anticipation, we're gone. So even with an angel right there, he says, give me something to hold on to. Give me something more than just the promise of God. And so Gabriel gives him what he asked for. Zechariah is so afraid that nobody would believe his words that Gabriel made him silent so that he couldn't speak for months. Zechariah is afraid that he would lose hope again. It'd be like, was all this a dream? Was it not even real? That the Lord gave him a sign by taking away his voice. Notice what God doesn't do. God doesn't take away the blessing. God doesn't say, well, you're not grateful, so I'm gonna go make somebody else the father of a prophet. He doesn't stop being faithful, but because of Zechariah's lack of faith, because he has no hope, he loses out on some of the joy of what God wants to offer. Because just imagine what would it be like if you went into, if you were Zechariah 
and your wife goes into labor and you want to comfort her and you can't say a word? What would it be like if your child was born and you were holding him in your hands like Zachariah did and wanted to sing him a lullaby or make him know your voice? And you go to speak to him and it's just nothing. He got what he asked for. He got his sign. But maybe he asked for too little. And that reminds me of another story I want to tell you. The second story for us this morning. This story comes to us from a woman named Janae Woodard. For the last 20 years, Janae has run a website called Text Week, which is a massive, totally free website where children's lessons and academic scholarship and art all related to the biblical passages are all compiled. And Janae used to be an academic scholar herself until her family realized that their youngest child would need extensive full-time care because of his form of autism spectrum disorder. Janae left her university job and began running text week from home. And now Phil, her son, is an adult. He's a computer technician. But when Phil was 10, Janae wrote about what Christmas meant to her family. And she said this, our family learned to slow down at Christmas a number of years ago. Phil could not handle all the changing scenarios, the twinkling lights, the changes in the sanctuary of the church, presents under the tree. He would fall down on the floor and scream, unable to move, afraid to open his eyes, almost constantly from Thanksgiving until well after Christmas. We tried to find him a present he would enjoy, but he merely scream and cry in panic at the intrusion on his carefully ordered world. He wanted nothing. He asked for nothing. He anticipated nothing. It is no bliss to have a child who doesn't get it, who doesn't want anything, and doesn't want to have anything to do with Christmas commercialism. But this year, right around Thanksgiving, we once more asked our kids what they wanted for Christmas. Our 14-year-old daughter sat down and made out her list, and Phil, for the first time in his life, answered the question, PlayStation 2. He said, I want PlayStation 2 Christmas. We just about fell over. His sister gave him a piece of paper. She wrote Phil's Christmas list at the top and he wrote PlayStation Toe. Under their heading, he said to us, at Sam's, go to car. <laughs> so we drove to Sam's. He led us right to the PlayStation 2 sets, picked out the bundle he wanted and put it in the car. And he said, open at Christmas. He watched gleefully as we wrapped the package and then he solemnly placed it under the tree so a PlayStation 2 game set sits there wrapped with his name on it and it waits to be opened. December 25, he says, open PlayStation 2, December 25. It's one more bit of hope that he might be able to live just a bit more independently and one day want the things he needs to survive enough to work for them. This is not a foregone conclusion for people with Phil's condition. Consumerism might be the enemy, but a kid who understands none of it is only a hero in storybooks. Janae finishes by saying, this Advent season, I'm grateful for being able to appreciate what complexity and miracle is involved in such small selfish acts as wanting something for Christmas and expressing that longing to another. Hear that again. It is a miracle to want something and to share that longing with someone else. That's what Advent is. 
It's the season where we are longing together, where we share our longing with every Christian who wants Jesus to come and make things right. How together we know the world is not as it should be, that we are not perfect, that there is evil and sin, and that we know that by the power of Christ, all things can be redeemed. And so we long for a world fully redeemed by Christ. We long for a world we want together. Emmanuel, Christ with us. When Zachariah's mouth was finally opened, the words poured out of him, that kind of a song that can only come from somebody who's wanted something for a long time, months of silence. And Zachariah's song was not just about himself, was it? He sings about Abraham and David and the millions of faithful people who, whose names have been forgotten. Zechariah remembers them all. And it's for them and for himself. He sings, praise to the Lord, our God, the God of Israel. He has come and redeemed his people. He has saved us like the prophet promised so long ago. He remembered that God remembers. And it isn't what the best songs do best. And isn't that what the best songs do best? They help us to remember. They help us to experience. They help us to feel. They help us to know realities beyond just mere words. They help us to experience love and life and caring, comfort. They remind us of something we've lost. They help us hope for something we have not yet experienced. And so here's my challenge to us this Advent as we conclude this morning that we allow ourselves to want more. To want more than just the parties, to want more than just the presence, to want more than just the music on the radio. That together, our Advent season is full of a longing that supersedes all of our normal desires, that transcends our basic Christmas wishes. Let us long for Jesus. Let us desire, have hope for the world. Let us hope and desire that Christ will redeem, will use you and me to be the Holy Spirit's presence in other people's lives, to comfort those who are mourning, to seek out the lost, to love the unloved. Let us experience the miracle of wanting more. May we be a church that says this Advent, we are going to remember what God has done and through that we are going to hope for what God is going to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.